We've been in this series for a week now, Q&A with Christ. The reason we're doing a, a message series on this is because there's a lot of stuff going around. You hear a lot of stuff about Jesus, about Christians, all this stuff in the world, and you know, even among believers. I like to go right back to the source. Let's study Jesus, and that's what we want to be about here, and that's what we're going to be about this morning. Um, and so we'll continue in Matthew chapter 18 in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk today, and I guess there always has been, but this phrase or this word is being, I don't remember it being around when I was a kid, but it probably was. The goat. You know, we're always arguing about who's the goat, right? Everybody wants to argue about who the goat is, right? Whether it's judge. Judge is going to get another shot at the home run thing today. Um, but there's something exciting about it, right? You got Serena just retired from tennis, whether it's Tom Brady, a quarterback, whatever. We want to debate about it, right? One of my favorite ones is basketball, right? I'm a, I grew up a Jordan fan. LeBron, you know, he wants to claim that, but he claimed the thing about the difference in LeBron and Michael is this. Michael never talked about being the greatest. LeBron feels like he's got to call himself the greatest, you know. Well, that, that series with, with Golden State, I'm definitely the greatest after that. I mean, let it ride, man. History will tell. But that's a thing that we talk about, right? That's a thing that we want to debate about is who's the greatest of all time, right? Because it, it feeds something in us. Even if it's not us, we want to be a part of history. We want, hey, I was around. I saw it. I, I experienced that, right? Um, there's something within us that desires to be great, right? Everyone wants to be a part of it or at least have their part in it. Um, where does that come from? It comes from deep down inside our pride, right? It comes from my own pride. I want to be recognized. I want to be appreciated, um, I want to have respect, especially when I feel like I've worked for it, right? Um, I've earned it. Well, this is not a new thing. We're going to look at this passage with Jesus today, and we're going to see some of the same issues with the disciples. This is not a thing that we invented. The dynamic of constantly competing with each other, we see that right in the disciples. Whether it was James and John, you remember at one point, uh, they came, uh, their mom actually came and said, can my son sit at the right and left of you? Can they, you know, have that position of uh, respect? Even at the Last Supper, when Jesus is washing feet, they're debating over, the Bible says, of who is the greatest. We have this desire to win. I'm very competitive. Our family is very competitive. I, don't, I won't get into it, but very comp- unhealthily competitive. Um, but Jesus had something greater. They came to Jesus with a question, and Jesus took that question And he unfolded what it means to even have a relationship with God Almighty. And so I want us to look at that in Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read uh, the passage first and then we'll discuss it. And I'll be pulling my glasses on and off because I'm going blind. 18 verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, Jesus put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Whoa. Verse 7. 
Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away. It's necessary for you to enter life. Uh, it is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountain and go in search of the one who went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not with the so it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Let me pray for us. Father, take your word, Lord, I pray, and you would speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, move in this place, meeting us right where we are, applying this message, this word to each of our hearts, that we would not leave this place unchanged, that we would adjust our lives to you and not expect the opposite. In Jesus' name, amen. See, this time in culture where Jesus is speaking to these um, disciples, um, prestige and position was a big deal, right? It was a big deal. Where you sat at a dinner party, whether you're up by the, the host or you're at the, at the other end of the table, who you spoke to or who spoke to you even. It was about respect and it was about uh, prestige, now, there's a battle today for greatness, right? There's a battle today for this. We see the struggle for power in our society, in our culture, and around the world. We see it as our greatest need. What I deserve, right? I want to I get mine. We want to be acknowledged. We want to be appreciated. We want to be approved of, right? But throughout history, what we can see is what we want is more power, more respect, when at least our fair share, right? Nothing has changed. And that's not all bad, but we've got to start in the right place. These disciples who had been with Jesus, they had heard him teach, they had watched him minister, loving people, and still they can't help themselves but think about this hierarchy. Who's going to be the best? Who's going to be the greatest? I went, um, not too long ago, several years ago, went to Haiti, the church that I was serving in. I was a, a worship pastor there. And I went with our uh, head pastor, and we helped start a church there and also a little school, the first primary school in this village. And so we were there for the whole week, and we were just there to encourage them. And it was interesting, and we had nightly services. um, And it was interesting because every time we would get up to speak, either myself or my pastor, there was this one gentleman, a Haitian gentleman, who would stand kind of off to the side, but he was right there made sure that when everyone else was seated and we were speaking, he was just kind of right over there. You know, and I always was curious about that. I thought maybe he was, he was our security or something. I didn't know what he was doing. Um, and the pastor actually, he wasn't the pastor. The pastor actually told me, no, 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 he's like one of the deacons, and he wants to make sure, you know, it's a very, um, it's a, you know, it's a very kind of uh, prestigious thing to lead in the church. And so he likes to be up there just to show everybody, you know, that he's kind of one of the leaders 
He just wants to demonstrate that. And he goes, just give him a little grace, especially with you guys here. He wants, with you here and you up there speaking, it gets a lot of respect. And so he wants a piece of that. So, he, you know, he's just up there trying to, to make sure everybody knows he's a leader. See, he, he wanted to make sure that he got the respect that he was due. And he, he wanted to, you know, whatever was going on, he wanted to be at the front of that. He wanted people there to know that, wow, he's, he's the real deal, right? There's no, it was no different in Jesus' day. These disciples are constantly jockeying for position, even with the religious. But Jesus was constantly blowing up the establishment, right? Their paradigm and their uh, expectation of what was important, he was blowing that up. It was awesome. Even the religious. Remember, Jesus used the humblest people. Didn't use them, but loved them right in front of everybody. They would be sitting around on a big religious dinner with all the leaders, and they're sitting with all their tassels and their robes and everything, and a prostitute would come in, and she began washing his feet, and they're all thinking, how dare you let her touch you, you know? And Jesus is like, she loves me so much more than, you didn't even wash my feet. You didn't show me any, any love. She loves me greater than you could ever. And he, again, he takes this child picks up this child, he uses this child when they're all there, we're having a big meeting here. What's kids stay in the other room? Jesus is constantly blowing that up, the picture of greatness, success. And so disciples are, well, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Quickly, before we go any further, I want us to look at that kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? Or the kingdom of God as it's used in other places. The kingdom of heaven is a central theme in the book of Matthew. It's used over 30 times. And Jesus even said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what's he talking about? See, the Jewish people were anticipating a physical kingdom, right? They're waiting for this warrior, mighty warrior to, to get the boot of the Romans off their neck and establish this earthly kingdom. But Jesus was talking about a spiritual kingdom. He even said before Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. He was speaking of this greater kingdom. It's not about religion. It's not about politics. It's not about power. It's about the heart of God intersecting with the heart of man through Christ. He's not going to set up an administration. It's about a relationship. The kingdom of heaven is a relationship between you and your creator. It's still mind-blowing. You talk about, you go into any church this morning, you talk about wax eloquently about scripture and all these things and talk about, you know, religion. Everybody can kind of, yeah, okay, I'll sleep through that. That's fine. It's good. I can accept that. You start talking about relationship, like what God is, wants to talk to me and walk with me. Now you're getting crazy. But that's exactly what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the kingdom of heaven. So he's blowing up these guys' idea of religion and prestige. And as usual, mankind and these at this moment, these men come to Jesus with one mindset, power, pride, greed, and Jesus is coming from another. And let me warn you this morning, the way we come to Jesus, oftentimes he's coming at us from a different angle. What we think we want, what we think we're trying to get from him, he's trying to do something completely different. And so also notice his, the preface of his complete answer to them. In verse 3, he says, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. They weren't talking about getting in. They were talking about being great. He said, you're not even going to enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't even get into this relationship. You can't even have this walk with God Almighty the way that you're doing it unless you turn. 
And so some of us this morning might be wrestling with, you know what, I just want to make my, le- my life count. I want real meaning and satisfaction. I want to make a difference. How do I live a great life? How do I get maybe some spiritual value in my life? But the real is- issue is, what is the first step you're willing to take? Because if we take the first step in the wrong direction, it's still going to end up in a dead end. Jesus has given them the first step in the right direction. And so he says, the first step to enter into this kingdom, this relationship with God Almighty is, number one, humble yourself. He says in verse 3 there, unless you turn, because he knows this is not their mindset already. Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So how is this child humble? Why does he use a child as the example here? Because a child is not ambition-seeking. It says that the wording that's used here is that he picked up this child. So this is a small child. He picks up this child. Children, at, you know, when they're small, they don't have this ambition. They're not, they're not seeking to be uh, the best. They're not seeking prestige, right? I remember our son, Max. He's 21 now. But when he was little, he would just go in a corner and play with Legos or blocks or whatever all day for hours. He didn't need anybody else. He didn't care. He was just happy there by himself, having a good time. He didn't need any recognition, even of what he built. He didn't care if anybody looked at it. Until he was introduced to the world of competition, until he was introduced to sports, until he was introduced to his siblings at an older age, became this competition, this, this struggle, right, to be counted and to be first. He still, he still struggles with that, like I do, like all of us do. But as parents, you know, the, the one thing I thought I needed to teach my kids, the greatest thing I thought I could Uh, teach my kids as a a parent was to be fully functioning, self-sufficient adults one day, right? To be out on their own, to navigate life, make good decisions, to help my daughters understand they don't need anybody. They don't have to be dependent on a man or anyone else. My sons try to teach them to be self-sufficient, right? Take control of your life, make it happen. But one thing I've learned, I've raised four kids, but one thing God has taught me is that the greatest thing I can instill in my children, the greatest gift I can give my children is to know and trust God, to understand that he loves them unconditionally and is for them, to understand that if they find their strength and confidence in themselves and their own abilities and their own accomplishments, they're going to find themselves empty and exhausted, frustrated over and over again. But there is a God. There is a Savior who's worthy of their trust. He says in verse 3, unless you turn. See, Jesus knows that these disciples, even though they said they're coming, they want to follow him, they give their lives, they said a lot of stuff. He knew their hearts, and he knows our our, our hearts too. He says, unless you turn, unless you stop trusting in yourself, this is not going to work. Unless you realize your need, it's not going to work. So you and I were created with a, with a dependence on God. There's a, there's, a, there's a need for God. And the way we have a relationship with him is responding to that need, letting him in, letting him have control, let him, letting him have a say. But we've replaced him, right? We've replaced him with independence. I don't need God. 
in this killer be killed world, I'm going to be a killer. I'm not going to I'm not going to be on the wrong end of that. And so we're protecting ourselves. We're trying to make our own way. Jesus says, as long as you do that, you can't know me. First Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Man, this is difficult. This is difficult just the way that, I'm, that I've been conditioned this past week, I'm going to make a confession. I was sitting at a, at a coffee shop. And to my defense, the tables are really close together, all right? That's just how it is in New York. I mean, I never experienced this until I moved here. People walk right up to your table and say, hey, can I sit here with you? <laughs> sure. So we were right on each other. And these people, right, were next to me. And they were talking. And they were evidently very type A professional young people. And they were talking about uh, things like investments and portfolios and cryptocurrency. And this is a very driven intellectual uh, vibe being projected from these two, kind of one up in each other to a certain degree. And this is a New York dynamic, right? You got the best here. People come here because they want to be the best. They want to work hard. So there's definitely an aspect of competition when we walk out our front doors, but it is exhausting. It was exhausting just listening to them. I wanted to just reach out and say, calm down. It's good. He likes you. It's fine. You don't have to prove yourself. But to let go of that mindset is a big step for all of us. It's a stretch. But it's beautiful. That, that passage, he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. When I humble myself before God and I cast my cares on him, like he says... These beautiful things happen. He exalts me in the proper time. He cares for me, and I can rest in that. Listen, my journey of faith, my walk with the Lord was transformed night and day when I decided, you know what? What I read in this book, I'm going I'm to believe. You know, because I grew up in the church, and there was a lot of it that I was just like, yeah, you know, you kind of get numb to it. You know, I start out with the felt board and the characters, and you just kind of, oh, yeah, this is a good thing. But when I turned 25 and I, God got a hold of me, and I realized, you know what? I can bet my life on this. Otherwise, just leave it. I don't need another thing to do on the weekends, right? Otherwise, leave it. But if it's true, God, have your way. That's what God is calling us to, humble ourselves. Say, you know what? I don't have the answers, God. I look to you. So that's, first of all, I look to you. I humble myself, and Jesus demonstrated that, right? Coming to this earth, walking our dusty streets, washing people's feet, healing people, breaking every boundary, every wall that we built. Jesus broke all of that, humbled himself, emptied himself all the way to the cross. What a picture. That's what he's called us to do, is to humble ourselves. First of all, to enter into the kingdom. To, to break the mindset that, you know, I just need religion or I'm just going along this path and I'm all right, I'll do good some days, do bad. He's saying, no, no, you have to stop that. You have to come humbling my, your heart and saying, God, I, I don't have the answer. That's first. I don't have the answer. I can't fix me. I can't do this. I humble myself. But it's also the way to live our lives. Christians, I mean, the opinion of the world today about Christians, what a shame. Now, yes, there's a lot of it that, you know what, I, and we'll talk about that in a minute. I don't want to talk about sin. I don't want to talk about accountability. Yeah, yeah, there's some of that. But a lot of it is because they know a Christian, right? 
Our lives should be different. Our lives should demonstrate something different. This humility is not just stepping through the door to a relationship with Christ. It's the way that I live my life. It's the way that I serve my neighbor, whether they vote like me or look like me or anything else. I'm going to love those around me. I'm going to humble myself. That story about uh, when we were in Haiti and, and that one guy was standing up there kind of by us all the time. Later in that week, there was another gentleman who we constantly saw him. He, if we needed anything, he jumped on his moped and went to town. He'd come back. I mean, he could stack stuff on that moped. He came back with tables and everything else on this little moped, chickens, everything. He came back. And he, he never said much. He's very quiet, but he would do whatever we needed. And I could hear the pastor kind of t- speak to him in Creole, just say a word. He was gone. He came back. And, so the last day, it's, it's church day, and it's packed. We're in this kind of like a hut, um, but it's jam-packed. And everybody... You know, somehow they, they got dressed. It was a very poor little village, but they got dresses and suits and all kinds of stuff. And they came, and this was very prestigious. It was a big deal. And on that day, my pastor, he preached from the passage of Scripture where Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And in that sermon, he called that man up, that man who went and got everything for us. Even while this other gentleman's standing here like this, he called him up, had him sit right there, took off his sandals, and washed his feet in front of everybody. And everybody was like, they didn't understand. Like, wait a minute, he's not even part of the leadership. And the pastor was in tears. The Haitian pastor was in tears because he knew the lesson that they all needed to learn, that we all need to learn. As believers, we've got to live a life of humility, live, live a life that demonstrates Jesus. The reason people are so confused about who Jesus is is because they're confused about what a Christian is. We ought to demonstrate that humility, that love. Because, listen, that's how God formed us. That's how he made us to live. That should be the normal in society. The reason it's not in society is because we've turned away from God. We've said we're independent. We'll figure this out on our own, and what we get is what we got. So to enter into the kingdom, he says, humble yourself. You guys, back off a little bit like this child. Let your heart, let your life be dependent on me. Turn your eyes towards me. So to humble myself, but also to embrace faith. In verse 5, he says, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, and he goes on. But notice right there, he's talking about Jesus is the star of this show. One of these childs who believes in my name, see, who receives me. He described us, he described those disciples, he said, unless you want to be like one of these children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so he describes the children a little bit. He says, they believe in me, right? They receive me. He's talking about two things, right? He's talking about that child whose dependence on Jesus, who, who does receive him, who believes in him, he said right there. But he's also talking about the one who does it, right? The one who puts... Uh, roadblocks in the way. And that's not just some, some evil person creeping around trying to keep people out of church. That just means someone who's living in opposition to God, opposition to the gospel, to the good news. But I don't want to focus on that person. I don't want to focus on this, this child still, this childlike faith. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus said this, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So we can do all the thinking we want. We can do all the figuring out we want. We can do all the adding up that we want unless we come with faith like a child 
we can't come. And listen, I said last week as we left, each one of us, when we walk out these doors, we're, li- we're going to live a life of faith. We're just choosing what we put our faith in. And I can, I can tell you from my own personal experience, everything outside that door and a bunch inside that door is just going to fail me. It's not worth my faith. Jesus is. See, the religious people in, the day, in this day couldn't understand why Jesus would, would eat and drink with the lost, right? These poor and the uneducated and also the powerful and the rich all at the same. He called them together all at the same table because about, for them it was about status. It was about studying the law, being religious, achieving a certain right to be at that table. And unfortunately in religion, we do the same thing too often. It's about being qualified to come. It becomes about what I can do, who I've polish myself up to be so I can come to God and represent God and have a relationship with God. I've earned enough points to please God. And really, I'm just trying to please myself. Really, I'm just trying to make myself feel good, right? You can see it in the disciples, constantly trying to be Jesus' favorite. Funny, John the Apostle, in the book of John that he wrote, he constantly refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Everybody, A lot of people think that's egotistical, but I interpret that as John going... I can't believe he loves me. That's how I feel when I'm sitting there leading a song and all of a sudden I feel like I'm just going to break into tears. It's, it's, it's that. I just can't believe how much grace God has had for me and how much love he has for me when I don't deserve it. See, God never intended for you to earn his love. Never. It's not about doing more of this and doing less of that. What he asks us to do, what he calls us to do is humble ourselves and come in faith. It's about faith. In him, in his provision, will I trust his heart? Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is hoping with assurance, with conviction, putting my trust in him. To live a, fi- uh, to live a life of faith is to live my life letting go of the temporary to grab hold of the eternal. That's what it means to come to Jesus as a child. Jesus said, come to me all who are weak and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Oh, what a good news message. Come to him in faith, humbling my heart. It's not by works. And so Jesus says there in verse five, these little ones who believe in me. And Christian, listen, this morning, the question is, are you living a life of faith? Are you living that life of faith, trusting in him? Are you spending time in the word? Are you just trying to learn him more? It's not about checking a box or anything. It's not like you, you read, the, read the Bible enough times, then you're okay with God. No, but it's about feeding that relationship, that, that faith in me. I mean, we all, we're, we're all in the same world together. We all see the same stuff. I, you all have seen the crazy I saw on the subway this morning, right? We all see it. And we start to get obsessed with those things. We start to get obsessed. We start to be driven by fear, right? And panic. Lust of the flesh, whatever it is. We got to fix our eyes on Christ. That's living in faith, walking with him. It's a relationship. Okay, and then finally, it's about living in freedom. Live free or die, right? That's a New Hampshire state motto. That's a pretty good one. But how do we do that? He says in verse 7, Woe to the world for temptations to sin. Oh, man. 
We were going along so good, talking about living a life of greatness and walking with God and the love of Christ. And you got to bring up sin. Well, in verse 6, 7, 8, 9, he says sin over and over again. That's what it is. And he says, woe to the world. Why? Why does he put such strong language? And then you see afterwards, he talks about plucking your eye out and cutting your foot off and all that. It's like, whoa, what's happening here? Why is he so intense on that? Because sin destroys. Sin kills. It's killing us. He, he also says in verse 7, it's necessary for temptations to come. Why is that? That's because we live in a fallen world, right? It's all over us. It's all over the world. Temptation to sin. We're under attack from the inside. My own desires are attacking me, and outside I'm being attacked. Romans 6.18 says that you and I have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. See, we just have to fix our mind on what sin is. It's a curse. It's bondage. It controls us. It always leads to shame and regret. I mean, make no mistake, the condition the world is in today is a result of sin. Brokenness, abuse, injustice, anger, bitterness, poverty, racism. It's all because we've refused to humble ourselves before a holy God. We become independent. And so we're gonna, I'm going to fight for my, me and mine. And that's what we're all doing. We've decided to put our faith in ourselves. Even our noblest efforts, we end up trampling on someone else. Listen, moral relativity is not livable, even as a culture if we decide what's right and wrong. It always fails. That's Jesus' point to the disciples here. He says, I know you're trying to be great. I know you're trying to be good. I know you're trying to be the best you can be and be close to God. He's saying, you got to let that go. I mean, to you and I, that sounds great, right? I want to be great in the kingdom of heaven. I want... He says, you got to let that go. you got to hold on to me. You've got to lay yourself down because you are broken. And this is the issue. You know, we all know people. You probably know somebody who says, you know what? I don't really need Jesus. I don't really need that whole, that whole message. Where does that come from? That comes from my own sen- sense of, you know, I'm okay. I'm not as bad as some other people. I, I do okay. I'm a pretty good person. It's a failure to understand that by the standard of God, the holy standard of a holy, righteous, just God, I'm broken. My deepest place. I attack myself. I do what I don't want to do. Don't do what I know I should do. The message of Christ is not self-help. Some people think, oh, Jesus was great. He came, he was a, a nice guy. He was, you know helped out people. He didn't come to just make our lives better. Although he definitely does that. I could spend a long time testifying in my own life about that. But his message is redemption. In our flesh, every single one of us, there's no, it's very fair because we are all fallen. We are all broken. And Jesus came that if we would have faith like a child, even a child can understand this message I'm broken. I'm separated from God on my own. I see it in myself. I see it in the world. I see it in my life. Jesus came to pay for that, to restore me to the Father. Jesus' work on the cross destroys my sin. And that's what he talks about, living in freedom. Living in freedom from sin. 
the power and the penalty of sin. Jesus sees the destruction of sin. That's why he uses that language. And it was worth it. God, God so loves the world, right, that he gave his only begotten son. So what does that mean? God saw you and I. He saw this world. He saw what we had made it. He saw what we had made our lives. And he loved us too much to leave us that way. That's why Jesus came. All the other stuff, healing, all of that stuff is great. That shows us the heart of God. God is a loving, compassionate God. But he came to deal with our sin. And this is the root of sin. I don't want you to miss this this morning because we like making lists. We like putting people in categories of their sinfulness. Ultimately, the sin that keeps us out of the kingdom of heaven, the sin that keeps us out of the relationship with God is our refusal to humble ourselves and put our faith in him. It's not this sin and that sin and that sin. All of that is a result of me taking control of my own life and living independently of God. Those first two things, that I humble myself and trust in him. So the question actually is not who is the greatest when it comes to relationship with God. It's who's good enough? Who's good enough? That's what the disciples said several times. And Jesus' answer over and over again, which confused them, is nobody. Nobody. You're not better than anybody else. You're not going to be better than anybody else. You have to humble yourself and come as a child, trusting in my love for you. God's given us the solution. So Jesus says here, the one who's greatest in the kingdom humbles himself, puts his faith in me, and lives in freedom. And this is the opposite of the way the world lives. And so it's easy to walk out that door and just kind of get back into the flow of everyone else. Right? The idea of surrender and dependence in this city is just weakness. But Jesus is saying, if you really, if you really just want to live according to the world's standards and the world's economy, go ahead, but you're not going to be you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to enter into this relationship. So this morning, there's probably two sets of people here. There's probably, you may be here and you may be trying to decide whether that initial receiving of the message of Christ in Christ is something that you can put your faith in. He's saying, humble yourself, trust, take a step of faith. Or you may say, yes, I trust in Jesus. I believe he is who he said he is. I trust him for salvation. I believe he's God's son and all those things. But I'm stuck. I can't grow. I don't feel like I'm growing in my faith. I don't feel like God hears my prayers. God is saying, Jesus is saying, humble yourself. Come to me. Jesus said over and over, come to me. Quit telling Jesus, quit telling God to come, come accompany me in my life. Humble yourself and put your dependence completely on him. Jesus ends this section, verses 10 through 12, with a beautiful picture of how God sees you. And how he sees me as lost sheep. And he says, even if there's one, this is, this is the heart of God. 99 are okay. 99 are found. And the one goes off, gets broken, even runs away. That's the amazing part. Because I was, I was that sheep that was looking for the hole in the fence. And I got out. And instead of saying, good riddance, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have done that. He came after me. He found me. He healed me. He loved me. He put his arms around me. He's saying today, 
let me love you. Lay down, lay down your arms. Lay down the fight. Humble yourself. Come to me and let me lead. And then we can live in that freedom. And we can rest in the arms of Christ. And Christian, this morning, let me encourage you. Jesus wants to move through your life to the world around you. It's not about you. It's not about just setting you up for success spiritually or physically or financially. None of those things. Jesus never promised that. He went to the cross. But he wants to move through you to heal the brokenness of your neighbors, your friends, your family members. The life lived with Christ is a beautiful life if we will live it by faith. But just as a a tag on my life, just as a thing that I do once in a while, I got plenty of hobbies. Jesus wants me. He wants my heart. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love and grace. Thank you, God, that you have pierced the darkness of my own thinking. And you've drawn me to yourself. You've opened up my eyes to who you are and what it means to live life to the fullest, not bound by the opinions or the appreciation of anyone else, but knowing that I'm created and loved with a purpose in the image of God Almighty. That's every one of us. Lord, the world cannot steal that from us. And God, this morning, you're calling us to humble ourselves and put our hope in that, not only in word, but in the way that we live our lives, laying our lives down, saying, God, I'm I'm tired of fighting you. I'm tired of fighting the world. I trust in you. I want to live the life that you created me to live. The way you've wired me to be dependent on you, to trust in you, that's the life that I want. God, may that be for every one of us here this morning. And may the world... God, as we leave this place, we go to our apartment buildings and to our our jobs and our coffee shops. May the people around us be the beneficiaries of a life lived in faith before Christ and in Christ. Lord, move through us to bring healing, to bring healing in the world, to bring healing in our own lives. Lord, we love you. In Christ's name, amen.